Welcome to the Beautiful and True Project podcast. This is a place where we talk about beauty and truth, the things that are most important to us, the things that ground us, and the things that uplift us. Hi. The truth of this week is that I ran into a couple of logistical difficulties, which is fine and gives me the opportunity to talk a little bit about the things, about a little bit about this podcast and a little bit about why I think it's important and a little bit about the things that I find to be beautiful and true. You may hear in the background, my neighborhood has a lot of children in it, especially this block, especially these like three apartment buildings. It has somewhere between five and seven children between the ages of two and eight. I can hear them outside my window chattering. They sound very serious. I think they're, they may be playing Harry Potter. They often do. One of them has a little owl that she carries around, and another has a wand, and a third has a robe. So between the three of them, they seem to have the, uh, the accoutrements covered. Yes, their tones are very serious, so I'm thinking it must be a pretty intense game of pretend. They may shriek. They may get wound up and run around and start a water fight and shriek. So if you hear them, that's what you're hearing. And you may not hear them at all. This is one of those things that is both beautiful and true about where I live. I have not had the opportunity to be around kids for a long time. Some of my friends have children, but those friends all live fairly far away. My closest friends here in Chicago, none of them have children. Except for one who has a two-year-old now. It's not quite the same as that, that range from four to eight. She's also a work colleague, so we occasionally hear her son singing in the background on Zoom conferences. What is beautiful and true about it to me is several things. One, the intensity with which they play. I had forgotten somehow that level of focus and dedication and they will have fights over what to name their new spell or who did the spell first and they're very real these are very real events for these kids and I remember being like that I remember playing pretend so clearly and with such investment that it almost wasn't pretend maybe you know what I'm talking about or maybe you have read a really engrossing book that just sucked you in and you lose three hours reading it because it's so powerful and it just captivates you and you lose all sense of where you are it is almost literally like you're transported to another realm and coming out of that is like coming out of sleep or waking up from a really powerful dream. 
we are someplace else for a little while. And I've always found that beautiful, that, that capacity, that imaginative capacity to take us someplace else. There's something true in it too, although I'm not sure I can put my finger on what it is yet. True is harder than beauty. When I started this project, I wrangled up about 30 people that I knew and respected and had, I was fairly certain that all of them had something to offer on questions of beauty and truth. The way they talked about their lives made me think that, that they had at least a piece of the answer that I'm looking for. I don't know what that answer is. I still don't. I have more pieces of it, I think. But as we were, I was asking, I would ask them questions about, about beauty. Like, what is your first memory of something that is truly beautiful? How would you personally define beauty? I think I asked four or five, then I switched to truth and started asking about truth. And truth, it turns out, is much, much harder. I'm going to start with beauty. And I know I'm rambling a little bit here, but these things are difficult to talk about directly. If you've listened to episode one, possibly episode three as well, and a little bit in episode four, this is going to come up a lot, actually. The idea that, that things that are beautiful and true resonate with us so deeply that they're very, very difficult to, to put easily into words unless you're a poet <laughs> or, um, or definitely a writer of some kind. But even then, what we're trying to do most of the time is use metaphor. We're using art. We're talking about it and talking around it and describing it using other things to try and connect to a piece of something that is so much larger. So I'm asking these questions to try and get little pieces. This is not a particularly creative metaphor, but it is, it is like assembling a puzzle, except that I have, I have maybe five pieces and my friend over here has two more and three more that she doesn't know about. And this friend has six pieces and I don't even know how big the puzzle is or where the edges are. And there may be no edges just to really drive this metaphor <laughs> into the ground. So I'm asking these questions and I'm talking about beauty and people are like, oh yes, beauty captivates us. It takes our breath, it, or we start breathing harder. It, it's very easy for people to describe beauty. It's a sensory experience for most people. You know, we've talked a little bit already in these episodes about how often nature comes up when people are talking about things that are really strikingly beautiful to them. Nature is inherently a sensory experience, right? It is sight, it is sound, it is smell, possibly it's taste, could be touch, the feel of a cool breeze the spikiness of grass. Nature evokes the sensual. 
in us. So people had a pretty good grasp of, of beauty and their definitions, their explanations were all unique and all really beautiful. And I'll be getting into those in the blog a little bit, I'm sure. But when it came to truth, the first question I asked was, what is your personal definition of truth? What is true? And, oh, this is where I cheated a little bit because I was like, yeah, I know what truth is. I didn't actually write it down for myself before I asked the question, which was cheating because <laughs> turns out this is very difficult. We have definitions of true that talk about the factual. We have definitions of true that dismiss the factual and talk about the heart of something, the emotions of something, a greater universality than perhaps simple facts. I had more than one person start their definition of truth and talking about how they knew what the definition was and it was about facts and it was about this and it was about that and they went on for a short paragraph and by the end had so tangled themselves up trying to define truth that they had in, in some senses talked themselves out of the capacity to know anything at all, which was really kind of beautiful and fascinating. So the point I think I'm trying to make is that talking about and thinking about what is beautiful and true is not, it's not easy. As I sat down to make this recording, this is the first one that I have done myself. I was really scared and I kept procrastinating and kept procrastinating. It is vulnerable. It is a little scary to talk about these things. Partially because they're so big, where do you even start? And also largely because they are so personal and they are vulnerable. When you're talking about what is beautiful and true to you, you're talking about your most precious self. And so I have an even greater respect for the four people who trusted me already to have these conversations with them and for the several people that I have lined up in the future to talk about it and a handful that don't know that they're going to be on my show yet, but they will, at least I hope they will, because I love these conversations. And I think, I hope that they're important to be having right now, because this is not going to be news to you, but this is a really hard time. I'm 43, and I have certainly never experienced a time like this. So we have a pandemic. We have a sudden desperate need to confront societal injustice and hopefully do something <laughs> to work toward changing that, to move that needle as much as we possibly can, as quickly as we can. And we also have, we have millions of Americans out of work and a hundred back to the pandemic, a hundred over 125,000 dead from this disease 
and a federal government whose response has been disorganized at best and downright harmful at worst. So why am I bringing all of this up? I'm bringing all of this up because in the face of all of this, I needed to start talking about what is beautiful and true because I was feeling lost. <laughs> I was feeling so lost and so panicky and so fluttered and so disembodied. And the thing about focusing on the beautiful and the true is that it tends to embody us. And what I mean by that is it tends to put us back into our bodies. Take one moment, and I'm going to pause after I say this. Take one moment and think about something that you find truly beautiful. Really invest in it. Imagine it, imagine, imagine it fully. Imagine what it feels like, what it smells like, what it looks like. Allow yourself to really be inside that moment. I hope you had enough of an opportunity to experience a little bit of it. Almost universally, as I was talking to people about this, when you really experience beauty, it's a sense of uplifting. People sometimes talked about how their chest felt more open, that their collarbones felt more expansive, that their heart seemed to lift up a little bit. And that's a genuine physical feeling, a physical response toward beauty that puts us back in our bodies. And it's an uplifting. Now, the interesting thing about truth is that it is the opposite. See if you can think of something that you know to be really, really true. This one might be trickier, but I'm going to give the same kind of pause. <laughs> and in the background right now, you're probably hearing my, my cat eating. <laughs> she has decided to come out and eat, which is wonderful because she's been a little ill today and I was worried about her. So I'm glad she's eating. Okay, but that distraction aside... Think about something that you know is true. For good, for bad, for better, for worse, it is true. And really connect to that for one moment. When I have talked to people about how they experience true in their bodies, they often talk about it being a really grounding experience. Like a support is all the way around you, 360 degrees, supporting you and pulling you downward, which is also an embodying experience. There's so much right now that is taking us, putting us in our heads and winding us up and for very good reason. But connecting to what is beautiful and true 
puts us in our body into a really whole way because not only are we uplifted, we're also grounded. Not only are we grounded, we're also uplifted. It can be very hard to connect to beauty and truth when things are so difficult and so worrisome and so confusing and so hard. But when we can, even if it's just for a moment, it centers us. It's better for me than any meditation I've ever tried. I sit and meditate and my brain just skitters and skitters and skitters and maybe I get 30 good seconds right at the end when I can like, oh, I've only got two minutes left. I better focus. But this, trying to connect to what is beautiful and true for me, puts me back into a centered place better than any meditation. I would argue (laughs) that what I'm actually doing is a meditation on the beautiful and the true, but uh, perhaps that's being nitpicky where I don't need to be. So I thought I would share, as I've gone through this journey, I've, I've found a couple of things that are really beautiful and true for me. I don't know how many of them people get. I suspect it tops out at about five, but I don't know. If you know, (laughs) please let me know. But I think I have a sense that these are so deep that we don't get very many of them. So here's one of mine. This is the first one I realized as I was first starting this project and trying to articulate for myself what is beautiful and true for me. The first one was simple affection expressed physically. I don't think we're great at that in American society, especially not Midwestern American society. Affection is such a simple emotion and I think we sometimes breeze past it. I think we take it for granted I think we think of it as small in a kind of in a pejorative sense. We don't, it's not romantic. It's not heroic. It's not particularly special. It is a day-to-day thing. And I really think we don't stop and let ourselves feel it enough. I know that I haven't at many times in my life. But it's such a beautiful and true emotion, affection. It is what we feel for our our friends, our closest friends, our not so close friends. It's what we feel for our pets. It's what we feel for our children and our families and our lovers. We feel other things too, but I think affection is kind of the simple core of of what it means to be human. And the other component of that, though, is not just affection, but affection expressed physically. We are, again, I'm talking about kind of a white Midwestern culture, which is my background, and I think there are many cultures that this is not true of. But this is why it's true to me. 
why this is beautiful and true to me because of the culture in which I come from. Affection is often not expressed physically or not powerfully physically. Hugs might be kind of slightly awkward where you kind of lean in with your shoulders and make your elbows really wide and then kind of pat, pat, pat on the back. When was the last time you kissed a friend on the cheek? Maybe you're somebody who expresses physical affection really easily and you were like, oh yeah, it was yesterday. <laughs> or given a really good hug or received a really good hug. There's a, an, an older member of my church who I have, we have such a profound mutual affection for one another. And every time I see him, he takes my hand and very deliberately raises it to his lips and kisses it. And in anyone else, that would be a ridiculous gesture. But from this man, it is beautiful and true to me. It is profound affection expressed in a physical way. So that's one. And it changed my life. Back in December, when I was first starting to wrangle with this and uh, working my way into the new year, as I figured that one out, suddenly I opened myself up to the affection that I feel for so many people that I, that I had taken for granted. And I was suddenly so much more alive and open and then I was determined to express it physically as well because that was that I had realized that this was important to me and that I was scared about it and a little intimidated and what if they didn't want to be touched and how do I navigate this when I'm fairly new to it? As I was practicing it, as, as I was getting better at it, it blew me away. The depth of a feeling that I was starting to have. I was feeling alive in a way that I hadn't in a long time. Alive, but also centered. Not manic, not sparkling with energy, just really, really present. And it was beautiful and I was just starting to get the hang of it when the pandemic hit and that I didn't touch anybody for two months, which was um, difficult actually. I know this is a, a powerful thing and that I'm not the only one that this is beautiful and true for because I saw a friend very recently who lives by herself and hadn't seen a whole lot of people in the, what, now four months since the pandemic really began in Chicago. And for some reason that day, I decided to hug her. We both had masks on, took a big inhale, and then reached in and gave her a really good hug. And then it backed up, exhaled, turned my face away, exhaled, ha ha ha, started laughing, turned around, tears rolling down her cheeks and shoulders shaking. Because she hadn't really touched anybody in four months. profound affection that you allow yourself to feel and express physically. Oh, it's beautiful and true and so needed, absolutely needed in this world, at least for me.
I love doing this work. I love having these conversations. I love it because all of us experience beauty and truth and all of us have things that are beautiful and true for us. And when we articulate them, it can really make a difference in a life. You articulate it and you live into it just a little bit and it opens up possibilities. It opens up new channels in our lives. Creativity, love, openness, patience, all the things that we so desperately need right now. Do I think my podcast can change the world? I don't know. Probably not. Do I think that if each of us can engage with what is beautiful and true for ourselves and really live it, do I think that can change the world? Yeah, I actually really do. I think it's at the heart of religions. I think it's at the heart of ethical behavior. I think it's the, at the heart of morality. I think it's at the heart of justice. So yeah, that's why I want to have these conversations. To feed my own curiosity and my own, my own wonder and awe at the beautiful and the true, but also because sometimes beautiful and true is so simple and so easily accessible and we ignore it or we take it for granted or we push it aside for a moment. And if we choose not to do that, then yeah, I think it's possible that it can change the world for the better. I hope it does. It's changed the world for the better for me. All right, that's enough for one for one afternoon. I wish you all the best in the upcoming week. And um, you have my profound affection, which I cannot express physically because you are listening to me. <laughs> As always, thank you for listening. And if you like what you hear, find us on iTunes and subscribe. Search for The Beautiful and True Project. I hope that listening inspires you to focus on the beautiful and true in your own life. We'll talk again next Sunday. Have a great week.